Hallelujah. You can be seated just for a moment this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, welcome to the first day of December. Woohoo! Amen. And uh, over the last couple of years, we've been going through the <coughs> excuse me the four weeks of Advent. And uh, so dealing with uh, hope and peace and joy and love, our hope and faith and expectation. Week one, that's what it is. How many have hope of the return of the Lord? Amen. See, there was a hope believing that he was coming. We believe he's coming again. Amen. And so we carry that hope, we carry that faith and that expectation. So every week we, we ask some folks in our church, we're just so blessed with so many wonderful people. And so this morning we have Miss Josh and Amy Bacon coming to lead us through the first week of Advent. Praise God. Come on. Amen. Who's up first? I, I get to be... How you guys doing today? Good. The people walk in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light was drawn. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and to the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, over the increase of the government and his peace, there will be no end. He will reign over David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time and on forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will be accomplished will accomplish this. Isaiah 9, 2, 6, and 7. This morning we light the first Advent candle. The light of the flame symbolizes the illumination of Jesus the Messiah in our lives. The disciple John tells us, Jesus Christ is light. In him there is no darkness at all. This Christmas season, let the light of Jesus the Messiah shine out of darkness. Let his light shine in our hearts so that we may have the knowledge of the glory of God. If we all bow our heads and pray. Gracious Lord, may your incredible blessings be upon all of um, of us this Christmas season. Let your light shine upon our lives, driving out in the darkness around us. May the joyful good news of Jesus and his coming transform our lives and give us hope for when, when he comes in power. Amen. Well, did you bring your Bibles? Amen. Are you ready? Say it with me. This is my Bible. I live by its truth. I walk in its light. I rest in its promises. I'm empowered by its love. I overcome by the faith produced from receiving this seed sown into my heart. Father, I thank you today for what you desire to do in our lives. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. We thank you for your voice that still speaks to us today. We thank you. You are a living God. And we thank you that you are alive and in our midst. And we thank you, Father, for your word that is true, that changes and transforms our life. And we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. And somebody said, amen. amen. Open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 2 this morning. And I just want to read as we get into this. But in, uh, uh, I, 
I love, and uh, I would encourage you, maybe you've never gone, but next time we have a youth conference or something uh, like that, I would encourage you just to come along and sit in the balcony, sit in the back, sit in the parking lot, sit somewhere, but uh, go to a youth event. Amen. And uh, in, in all my years of pastoring and going to, whether it was our youth camp or conferences or whatever, I always have God speak to me at youth camps. Amen. Because I believe he's a young God. God's a young God. He is. You need, you need to get that. Under, people get this old picture of God with long gray hair. So we, we paint God off. God doesn't get old. He, he just is, he's life, amen? He is life. Age is, is part of the fall. Amen. That, that's why Paul says our outward man is perishing, but our inward man is renewed day by day. So you got a person on the inside of you that is very young. Amen. You have, an, you have eternity living on the inside of you. you. You have ageless life on the inside of you. Amen. So I encourage you to, to, to have that thought, but take advantage. And so when I was at the youth conference, God began to speak to me, and I began putting this message together on the altar and the chair. And uh, it has to do with exactly what the Holy Spirit has been speaking this morning and, and God drawing us and calling us to himself. And we're singing about giving our all to God. But I want to begin because I want to begin with what God has given to us. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord showed round them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Somebody say all people. So God brings us good tidings of great joy to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a... That was really lame. There's been born to you in the city of David a Come on, that's what I'm saying. Amen. I, I, I got saved. Amen. A Savior has been born to us in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So how do I get Jesus out of a manger and off of a cross and into my heart? How do I live in the reality that God is a loving, living, joy, life-giving Savior? I believe it begins at a place called an altar, an encounter with God. It's not enough just to hear about him. What the Lord was saying to you by the Holy Spirit this morning, he, he didn't just want us to know him. He wants us to know that he loves us and he's calling us to himself into an encounter and a living and a life-giving relationship with him. So walk through your outline with me this morning. I believe there's no place that can change a heart or a life like an altar. Exodus 20 says this in verse 24. The Lord, after giving them the Ten Commandments, he said, Build for me an altar made of earth and offer your sacrifices to me, your burnt offerings and peace offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Build my altar wherever I cause my name to be remembered. Amen. I believe a church and what God ordained for the church to be is a place where his name is remembered in the earth. 
where we declare the name of the Lord. And he says, we should have altars there. And look at what he says, and I will come to you and bless you. How many have sensed the Lord coming to us this morning? Amen. He's come to us because we, we place and we have an attitude of an altar before God. You see, for me, it was a metal chair in a prayer room 41 years ago that changed my life. In just a couple of weeks, December 13th, 1978, that's what I did. I, I knelt down at just a metal chair. My altar was just this. It was just a metal chair in the back room in a prayer room in a church. And I knelt down at that chair and I had an encounter with God. Amen. It wasn't anything special. There were no lights. There's no music. There's not, not all the beauty and all the splendor of that. It was just me realizing that I need a Savior. And God met a broken man, a discouraged man, and he met him at a place called an altar that was just an old chair. And I love this chair this morning. These were our first chairs 20, 30 years ago. Amen. This is the last one, the last surviving chair from 30 years ago when we started. Amen. Last one I could find. Amen. So when we were in our, our, the little building down on Rose Plaza in Cameron Park there behind Sizzler, those were our, what you're sitting on now. Amen. Our chair. So I want you to think about that. You will never experience anything as life-changing as a personal altar experience with God. Not in a crowd, not at camp or convention, and not because someone called you to it. But because you knew that the only answer for the need in your life and the pain in your heart was to give it all to God. With no reserve, no regret, nothing held back, no longer holding on to a self-perceived safe place of refuge to fall back on. See, many times that's what we do. We come to God and we want His help, but we're afraid to throw ourselves completely upon that altar and let the sacrifice be complete. We have this place that we think we will fall back to and take care of ourselves. But we no longer do that. We totally throw yourself upon the grace of God, not as a last hope, but as your only hope. Exodus 20, verse 21, it says this, And the people remained standing at a distance, but Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. And I don't know about you, I don't want to be in the crowd that's content to stand afar off and watch. And when I read in Exodus, it's amazing to me because God tells them in Exodus 19, He says, hey, this is what's going to happen. You tell the people, get ready, because I'm going to come down and meet with them. And I'm going to reveal myself to them. And so they, they were to sanctify themselves. So day after tomorrow, I'm coming down and I'm going to meet with you. God comes down on the mountain with the lightning and the thunder and the flash. And he speaks out of the cloud and he speaks to the people. And people go, whoa, that's a little too much God for us. And they ran to the backside of the mountain. They said, Moses, this is what I, we want you to do. We want you to go talk to God and then you come tell us what he said. But God came down to say, hey, I want to be with you. I want to be amongst you. I want to manifest myself to you and make myself known to you. But the people said, we don't want that. We, we, we just want to hear about you. We like you. We think you're pretty cool. Neat tricks with the cloud, the fire, the ocean, cool stuff. But you stay up there. We'll stay down here and we'll send our representative to you. And that's what happens today in church today. People are content to send pastors and preachers to go to a mountain for them when you've been invited by Almighty God to approach Him on your own. 
and you can choose to have somebody go for you and just bring a word back to you, or you can be like Moses and say, hey, I'm going to press in to the darkness and that place where God is. I'm not content to stand back. I'm going to press in. And if it means I have to live at an altar in sacrifice to God, then I choose His presence over everything else. Amen. Moses said it like this when they began to go. Moses said, God, if your presence does not go with us, we will not go. But to be a people of his presence, we have to be a people of the altar. To have God in our life, we have to have an altar in our life. You see, look inside your outline. Life comes to us with all kinds of ebbs and flows. Ups and downs, ins and outs. It happens to us all. Because we live in a fallen world, we all experience pain in life. Through discouragement, failures, disappointments, losses, abandonment, abuses, slanders, rejection, and the heartbreak of unexpected suddenlies. We've been praying all week for Pastor Glenn Berto. Last Sunday night, Pastor of the House Modesto had a, had a, 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 a massive heart attack. And they put him in, a, in, in an induced coma to preserve him, bring him out to try to help with the restoration of all of his body functions and everything else like that. So here's a pastor doing a great work. And suddenly, you're facing an unexpected situation. How do you make it through the suddenly, the issues of life? You make it because you've been at an altar with God. And you know that He is faithful, that He is true. And in the midst of every situation, as I said a few weeks with you, He is the one who always comes walking to you on the storm of adversity that you are rowing through. And He comes walking with an answer. You see, families and relationships can be dysfunctional at times. People can be cruel and even ruthless at times, unforgiving and unloving, without understanding and seemingly without compassion. We can become calloused and hard towards them and even close ourselves off in self-imposed isolation, thinking we're protecting ourselves because of past experiences. You see, in life, how we respond to all of these situations is always more important than what happened to us in the long run. Your response is always more important than what happened. If we do not respond correctly, we allow the pain to take control and to become the dictator and director of our future, fueled on the pain of our past. The Word of God gives us amazing accounts of many who had to deal with the pain and brokenness that came through life. And all of them culminating in the life of Christ and Him being rejected by His own. John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Hear it. It's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came, listen to this. He came into the very world He created. I read it. Unto you has been born a Savior. He came into this amazing world that He created to redeem His creation. But the world did not recognized him he came to his own people and even they rejected him the word of God also gives us the amazing accounts of transformation in the, excuse me <coughs> in the lives of those who meet with God in a personal encounter at an altar a one-on-one -on -one encounter with God 
Especially, this is illustrated in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, Abraham was known for his altars that he built for God. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Genesis chapter 12. See, God calls Abraham out of his father's house. How many know just saying yes to God starts with the sacrifice? Because there's things you have to let go of. We used to tease our pastor brotherhood all the time. And I've shared it with our men on Monday nights. And men, if you're free on Monday nights, you like to join us. We do a Bible study at 6.30 over in the, the fellowship hall. But our pastor would always preach. We teased that he only had one message. He just preached it a thousand different ways. And, and that's, really, that, that's really the gospel is just one message. I'll give you the gospel. This was Brotherhood's message. Let go of the world. Grab hold of God. Let go of the world. Grab hold of God. See, to go to an altar with God, to say yes to God, you have to let go of some things if you're going to grab hold of Him. You cannot hold on to the world and lay hold of God at the same time. So the altar is always those places where people were letting go in order to take hold of. And God said to Abram, get out of your father's house and out of the land and, and come into the land that I have called you to. And then in Genesis 12 and verse 7, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give you this land to your offspring. So listen to what happened. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Or God spoke a word to Abraham. Abraham heard God's voice speaking into his heart. And out of response, he built an offer, the altar there. And he said yes to God. An altar is a place where you just say yes to God. Where you sense God speaking to you. And you're replying to God. And you say, God, I'm going to say yes to you. And what others may say is a great cause. I know that this is worth the great exchange. And then in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 3. That Abraham went as far as Bethel. To the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Between Bethel and Ai. To the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. You know many churches are named Bethel. Bethel, meaning the house of God, the house of God, and, and, and Bethel, or that place is where God said, and sometimes we have all had a Bethel, but it's been a long time since we went back to that first place. And remember the commitment we made to God and keeping that fresh. See, relationship with God is like relationship with your spouse. You need to live in the romance of the first day instead of the four thousandth day. How do you make it from one year to 50 years? You keep living like you're still, however young you were, and falling in love. Are you doing all right? So you, you, you keep it fresh. You keep it at the beginning place. You keep it at the right place. It has to be the same in our life with God. And then in chapter 13 and verse 18, it says, And, and Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees. 
and Mamre, which is in Hebron, and he built an altar there to the Lord. And I don't have time to read them all, but if you go through there, you find that, that not only that, but Isaac built an altar to the well when God began to speak to him. And Jacob built altars to the, to, to, uh, I mean, all, not to the well, but to the Lord. But Isaac and Jacob both built altars to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Jacob ended back up at Bethel. Rebuilding his own altar there. And that's what happens to all of us. I don't know about you, but I find that what, what every generation tends to do this. We have our own ideas, but we end up back at the faith of our fathers. Every generation puts their own spin, their own style, their own whatever on living for God. But when we really say yes to God, we find ourselves back at Bethel. We find ourselves back at the beginning. Building our altar on the foundation of the faith of our fathers. Are you doing alright this morning? So follow with me. The first thing you come to upon entering the temple, though, when you study, it was a brazen altar. If you look at the tabernacle in the wilderness, that God made it. So when they first entered, when you first entered the temple, when you first entered the house of God, the first thing you would come to was an altar of sacrifice. The second thing you would come to was the brazen laver and the washing. And it was through the sacrifice of worship and the washing of the water of the word that prepared us for the presence of God. Amen. Think about it. Hebrews 13 verse 16 says this, Therefore, through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. You see, this conduct can only come from a life that has been placed upon an altar to God. Living for God will always require a sacrifice. I could have looked the definition for sacrifice up in the Greek or in the Hebrew, but I thought I'd just see what Webster had to say about it. This is Webster's definition of sacrifice. It's perfect. It says this, The surrender of something prized or desirable for the sake of something considered as having a higher or more pressing claim. See, there's so much that we think is valuable in our life, desirable. But the call of God is higher and has a more pressing claim upon our life. So whatever it costs me to go to that altar and say yes to God, I'm willing to go and to let it go because what he has for our lives is higher and of a more pressing claim upon us. I don't know about you, but growing up, I had several opportunities early in life to respond to God. I had felt his presence. I had heard his voice and knew of his love for me. Yet for whatever reason, I passed by every chance to accept it. And the one who suffered the most from my choices was me. God had given me many opportunities to miss the pain, but I rejected the call of His grace. Maybe you're here today and you really haven't made that full choice to God. Maybe you're still in that place of saying, hey, pastor, that's awesome. You go get a word and come back. I'm happy just standing afar off over here. But God's calling you into a closer 
walk with him. See, many times in life we make choices because of the pain and the brokenness we have experienced. And it might not directly be done to get back at those who hurt us or let us down, but subconsciously we hope it affects them. We hope that they might somehow feel responsible for our choices. See, through abandonment, through things, through discouragement in life, people with, hey, young people, I don't know what you turn to. I turn to stupid stuff in doing things. And when we're making bad choices with our lives, we, we think that people who we feel are responsible for the pain and the hurt and the heartache that we carry, that somehow they'll bear some of the burden for our own stupidity. Feel some guilt somehow connected to our bad choices. But in reality, hear this this morning, in reality we allow ourselves to become partners with the enemy of our souls. And we become perpetrators in the cycle of pain. Our responses and choices afflict upon others the same pain we experienced. You see, I grew up in a broken home. My dad left when I was two. And so the pain of not having a full-time father in my life and having to look outside for that and other things. And I had a great stepfather. My mom remarried when I was six and my stepfather there for 45, 50 years of my life, amazing man, and, and just ministered to me and was there. But my dad, are you listening to me? See, stepfathers can't replace fathers are you listening to me and so in that so out of that and desiring for that and whatever that is however you carry and process everybody processes something differently are you doing all right and so out of that and so when I grew up and I got older and I got married I said hey I never want my children to experience what I experienced but I I, I, I was handling it the wrong way and exactly what I put right here is that in reality, I became a perpetrator of the cycle of pain. And I was doing all the things that didn't produce success but produced failure because I was doing life out of pain, not out of wholeness. So at the age of two, Sean's mom and I separated. And the thing I never wanted my children to experience, he was going through. Are you listening to me? Our responses and choices inflict upon others the same pain we experience. The only way to break the cycle, as Eli prayed during the prayer this morning, the generational curse of divorce, is you have to die and have a resurrection and be born into a new bloodline. Are you listening to me? The only way to break the cycle and heal the pain is to place it all on an altar to God and receive His forgiveness for our personal sins and to forgive others for theirs and to, do the, and, to do, and to die to the right, to be right, and choose to live free. Here's what happened. Everybody look up here just for a moment. You're right, you were hurt. But you have no right to be right. You have no right to demand that there's restitution in all that areas. Because somebody else's sin, their transgression, 
hurt you. But you have a Savior who took all their pain, all their failure, all their, all their, everything they inflicted upon others, and He has forgiven them. And when I choose to be right, and I'm right, and I can prove that I'm right, I have a reason to be right, I, I have all this, I still don't have the right to be right before God. And the only one I hurt is myself. The only way to be free is through forgiveness. Which is why when we come to God with the brokenness that we've experienced in life, what does He do? And every mistake, every failure we made, out of that pain, He forgives us and He restores us. Amen? And then He releases us to walk in that restoration. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I put it there in your outline. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give you, to give your bodies to God because of all that He has done for you. Let them be living, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. The world tells you you have a right to be right. You have a right to be offended. You have a right to carry this animosity. You have a right to carry this against people to hold a grudge to, and, and to hang on to that. God says you have no right. You have to let it go. You have to let it go. And there are many people who, don't, who won't even get saved. Because they would have to give up their right to hold those people accountable. I'm telling you today, there will be people who will split hell wide open. Because they didn't want to give up their right to be right. In order to be forgiven so they can forgive. Don't copy the behavior and custom of this world, but let God transform you into new persons by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and per perfect. Hear me this morning. Relational reconciliation can only be done one-on-one. -on -one. Others can be an encouragement to you, but eventually you and the other person must settle it one-on-one. -on -one. The same is true with your relationship with God. That's why I say an altar is so important. That you find a place where just you and God have an encounter together. You have that moment. You look back at that place. See, for me, I've met a lot of people. And people say, well, I don't actually know. I don't have that day. Then you need to make today the day. If you can't point to a day, I'll never forget years ago, I was listening to a video by Catherine Kuhlman. And she was saying, you, people say, well, why, why are you doing what you're doing? How, how did you get to where you were? And she said this. She said, I can, I can tell you the day, I can tell you the hour, and I can take you to the motel room, and I can take you to the place where Catherine Kuhlman, I can show you the corner in that room where I knelt down and I died. I can take you to the place where I had an encounter with God. 
And all these years, for 41 years, I go back to that day. I'll never forget walking out of that prayer room and walking down the side aisles of church and my pastor coming down and he looked at me. I didn't say anything to me. He just looked at me. He said, son, you've been drinking at the well. I didn't say anything. But what I'm telling you is that when you encounter God, a transformation takes place. And you don't have to tell anybody, I got saved. I didn't say, Pastor, I just came out of the prayer room. I just met with God. I didn't say anything. When you meet with God, He changes you. And you need to have a moment. You need to have a place where you say, on this day, I said yes to God. I built an altar to God and I called upon His name and He met me there and He blessed me. And I'm changed forever. And I look back at that day and I mark that day and I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. And every time the devil says, hey, you remember your path? You say, hey, I don't care about my path. I met a God who's washed my path under the blood of His Son. And I'm redeemed and I'm forgiven and I no longer have a path. I have a future in life with my God. The worship team comes back. There's nothing more powerful in our lives to enable us to break free from the oppressive chains of discouragement and pain in life than an altar experience with God. And let me just say this. Once you have an altar with God, you're never afraid of the altar again. Because you know what happens at the altar. You know that God meets you there and He blesses you there. You never care about peer pressure again. You don't care what the religious people around you might think about you going. You say, I know God will meet me at an altar. There's nothing more preserving in the life than a personal altar with God. The place where you present yourself as a living sacrifice. And He receives your worship and fills you with the power of His grace and reassures your heart with His Word. You see, even our Lord and Savior needed the reassuring that can only come through a personal encounter with the Father. At a personal altar of consecration and prayer. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had to pray. He said, guys... This is it. I'm going to go over here and pray. I need to hear from God. I need to build an altar to God. And I need to be reassured. And Jesus prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. There are times in every one of our lives when that's all we need to pray at the altar. Father, not my will, but yours be done. And then we throw ourselves upon His grace. And he empowers us to rise up and walk out our yes to God. Could you say amen? amen? See, an altar is not a place of death only, but assurance of resurrection. People think altars mean death. Altar does not mean death with God. Altar means life. You know what this is? This is not a place of death. This is the door to life. This is the door to life. Abraham built an altar and God said, give me your son, your only son Isaac. And Abraham said to his servant, read it in Genesis 22, the lad and I are going to go up this mountain and worship God knowing that he's going up there to offer his son on an altar to God. And Isaac said, "God, Dad, I see the, 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 the wood and I see the, the embers here and I see everything we need for, for a sacrifice. And I know we're going up to worship God, but 
Where's the lamb? Abraham said, God will provide the lamb. But God provided the lamb when Abraham laid Isaac on the altar. Because Abraham knew the surrender of something prized or desirable for the sake of something considered as having a higher, more pressing claim. And Isaac was his prize, but saying yes to God had a greater pressing claim upon his life. And you read it in Hebrews, I put it in your outline. It says that Abraham was willing to put his son on the altar because he knew that he had received him from death. And God would raise him back to life from death. And so he gave his son with the expectation of resurrection life. And that's what God's invitation to you. He's not asking you to come and die. He's asking you to quit living dead. Ephesians 2 and verse 1 says that you and I were dead in our trespasses and sin. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord, you are living dead. And God's not asking you to die. He's asking you to come and lay your death upon an altar. Lay the death of this world. Lay the death and the corruption of sin. Lay everything that destroys your life. He said, if you will give me your death, I will give you my life. Would you stand with me this morning? The promise of God to us all is life after death. But it's too easy. Sometimes we choose to hold on to death because of the fear of life. We have to be willing to die to living dead if we desire to live in resurrection life. Bow your heads with me this morning. There are some of you today telling you the presence of God is here to liberate and to set you free but there's something in your life that you have held on to you've wrestled with God about it you've talked to God about it and all God ever says is let it go let it go but then you want to reason with God yeah but God yeah yeah but God Let, let me run this by you one more time just bring this up again one more time God just waits for you to let it go there's some of you have had things in your life today that you need to bring to this altar and you need to let it go you need to let it die so God can give it back to you in resurrection life it's not just about getting born again the first time it's been born again daily living in the life of God daily there are things I say life just happens to it it come tomorrow there could be another opportunity for discouragement there could be an unexpected suddenly something could happen what are you going to do I know what I'm going to do everything that has to do with this life everything that tries to come against me is a weapon of the enemy trying to pull me out of my life with God I refuse to let the death of this world and the corruption of a devil try to pull me out of my life with God I refuse to allow anything that caused me to stand to 
afar off and while others are pressing into his presence I choose to bring my life to an altar and say yes to God so today I'm asking you do you need an altar in your life with God is there something do you need to go back to Bethel do you need to go back to that first place have you gotten so calloused in your walk with God have you become justified in carrying offense today God says I want to set you free the Holy Spirit spoke to us I love you I'm reaching you I will always love you he invited you into his love he said his word would never return void so as they begin to worship I'm opening this altar to you if you need an encounter with God then you move today Jesus name lead us guys